Hello, Ross. Welcome to the Patterpod. Hello, Alex. Lovely to be here. Well, it's great to have you with us. Um, how are you today? Yes, doing a fantastic, actually. I'm kind of uh, in Manchester. It's been pretty gloomy for the past few days. And then all of a sudden mm. opened the blinds today and just the sun is pouring in. So I'm actually really cozy in my room. I've had to wear shorts. So <laughs> Oh, wow. Gosh. Well, it is May. So Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Time the weather caught up. Before we properly begin, it's probably worth talking just a bit about how we know each other. Mm-hmm. So I first came across you last autumn when you joined the Salford Cathedral Choir as yes. a choral scholar. And you're studying at the Royal Northern, is that yes, right? Yes, currently, yeah, just doing my, uh, coming to the, oh, scary thought, but coming to the end of my master's at the RNCM two-year course. Yeah, it's amazing how that time flies. Flies. <laughs> yeah. So you're obviously not from England. You're not from around here. I am not. <laughs> um, tell me, where you, whereabouts are you from? So um, I was uh, born in Aberdeen and then uh, moved to this wee place called Elgin, which is kind of uh, midway between uh, Inverness and Aberdeen. So it's in the northeast of Scotland and uh, uh, grew up there. And then I did my uh, undergraduate. I came back to Aberdeen uh, to do undergraduate music at the University of Aberdeen, which was amazing. Really, really loved it. Did lots of, and that's how I got so involved in the kind of choral scene and uh yeah and then i've found my way down the country to manchester so in aberdeen you would have come across the likes of paul meader yes yeah so paul was kind of uh, a huge uh, member of the department who uh, got the choir he had his chamber choir and the chapel choir who conducted and we did lots of kind of various tours and we did lots of uh, recording and of his music as well and there's a, another composer uh, philip cook who's been uh, very in with the the 16 and done lots of, uh, I've done some recordings with them, which has been really, really cool. But we were kind of spoilt rotten up there because there was just, I mean, the actual (laughs) uh, college that we sang at was called King's College. You just put in bracket at the end, Aberdeen. So no one knew. (laughs) I've got that on my my CV, King's College, Scholar, Choral Scholar, but just Aberdeen at the end. (laughs) Yeah, but they, uh, yeah, we had uh, services to sing there in the chapel choir and we got to go to New York, went to Prague. It was really amazing. Lovely. And that's quite a good crash course into choral music, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'd done a little bit in in Elgin. Sadly, there wasn't really much of a choral. There was the the Murray Youth Choir, which was wonderful and kind of got me singing in some ways. But as soon as the kind of uh, the voice, as you are, I'm sure, well aware, when the voice changes for a male at the age of 13, all of a sudden, you know, it's a lot of girls in the choir. You've just got one one voice down the octave because I, yeah. I think there was one of maybe two or three other boys. So it all of a sudden just becomes a little bit, not disheartening, but there was also uh, the National Youth Choir of Scotland, which is uh, conducted by the amazing uh, Christopher Bell. So they, uh, again, did lots of tour and it's been amazing singing with them, but they kind of got me into choral singing and then kind of honed that kind of, what is that, that kind of cathedral practice of being able to pick up music and just sing it, you know, sight reading and all that kind of stuff. It's just thrown into it in Aberdeen. So yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. And what was what was it like growing up? Was music always part of growing up for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I always really loved singing. That was the one because I, I, I had piano lessons for a long time and I, I enjoyed piano lessons, but I, I found just quite practically um, when it came to performing or, or, you know, you had your ABRSM grades, I would get so nervous, which is, you know, as everyone does, but to the extent, and it's happening right now, my, my, my fingers would start to sweat just thinking about it. So <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be playing and I'd find my fingers would just slip off the keys. And I remember speaking to mum being like, I have so much fun practicing and, and, you know, playing for friends. But as soon as I have to, you know, as soon as I know it's a recital or I remember doing some piano competitions, just being like, this is not enjoyable. I'm not, I I love the practice. But then as soon as I have to perform it, I find it really hard. But then with singing, I I love singing because, you know, the hands still get sweaty, but it doesn't really matter because you you can just wipe wipe them on your trousers and you're fine. But I, uh, yeah, and really enjoyed uh, music at school. And uh, my grandpa was a really keen choral singer. So he's very kindly just over lockdown. He delivered a package to me of all his old scores, which has been amazing kind of going down and they're all kind of, he he would write his name and there was a, I've got this amazing beautiful um uh, edition of the creation that he was gifted when he left he was a professor so he um yeah had this copy of the creation it's I hope to use it one day hopefully it's a really lovely edition there's nothing I love more than a good old oh yeah score. <laughs> um, there's a really good secondhand bookshop in Nottingham called Bookwise and they've got a oh. wonderful 
choral music, sheet music section. And I used to work for the charity that they raise money for. And sometimes I just go down on my lunch break and just sort of go around sniffing books. Oh, it's great to see. There's a good smell to these, isn't there? That's a good smell. And you just, just discover like first edition things. Yeah. Um, that with really ornate uh, mm-hmm. artwork and like really beautifully bound and just like oh they just don't do it like that and, and, other, and other people's markings I always find that quite interesting going through what, what they've done <laughs> or who had that this is before. always interesting I mean I, ha- I sometimes do that when I take choir music in um, after a choir rehearsal or when we've done it in the cathedral and just sort of have a peek through what other people have written yeah. um, particularly if I've said in the rehearsal oh you should watch out for that yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like that. <laughs> okay some of these copies are very clean clean um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's when you have um when you have a copy and just at the very start it says count in capital letters <laughs> think, okay well it's okay. good that you're thinking about the basics yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I can re- really relate what you're saying about piano because I I always got incredibly nervous playing piano and I mm-hmm. never got over that that moment of like, oh, I'm sitting down to play a piece in front of people. Yeah. And I think that's where the, I'd slip up and then I'd just finish it my way. So I'd also I'd be sort of like composing at the same time. Yeah, no, no, no. And I, I think got you, that's yeah. where I've ended up. Like That's how I got into composing really is sort of the mistakes on the piano. But definitely, I, I have to say that but having the piano skills is just so important, though. I, I think that's the, yeah. the thing that's served best in all kind of whether that's learning new music or or just being able to sometimes, you know, as you've, I'm sure, found just being able to accompany, whether that's the kids choir or, or even the adults, it, you need to have those skills. It's so important. So in terms of growing up, like, did you have any particular taste in music? Well, definitely. I, I guess as we're all influenced by our parents a lot of the time, but when when it came to music, it was the the stuff that was on in the car so much. So I, we listened mm-hmm. to him. My dad had so many CDs of what was it, the the Beach Boys and Queen and stuff like that. So I listened to loads of that kind of growing up, kind of that kind of dad rock stuff. So I really <laughs> loved like you know singing along to that stuff and Babaran. I think the first words were Baba just because we <laughs> listened to that so many times. But I I guess. Actually, I, I, I listened to um, a lot, a lot of choral stuff as well. That was a lot yeah. as I was kind of, um, I, I just, I got so into it, whether that was Kings at Christmas or stuff like that. I love, especially at Christmas time, I think that's where I started to get into the, you know, all the classic Christmas bangers that you have. Mm. So I really loved that stuff. But there's also in uh, where I come from, there's also a big traditional Scottish music scene. So yeah. um, there's a lot of, uh, whether that's kind of, there's a thing called the Mod, which is a, a Gaelic folk festival, and uh, there's lots of singing, and you get Gaelic choirs, but you also get all these amazing uh, fiddle groups. There's uh, the Fockovers Fiddlers, which are just down the road, and they are amazing. They play at this uh, this uh, little festival called uh, Belladrum and uh, Spayfest, and it's just you've got thirty fiddlers all playing away and and doing Cayley music as well. So that was a huge influence as well. Hearing all this, and you know, yeah. as a as a Scot, I'm not exactly abroad, but you you. Do miss that kind of oh I don't know the the Kaylee aspect or that that uh, some of these three piece bands that just amazing stuff the Scots yeah. trad stuff that's quite an eclectic mm. mix of things to sort of go into your your musical taste now and and d- dare I say sorry also I I also and I'm not no I'm not ashamed at all I love musicals as well you know as much as love love studying opera just now but the musicals did lots of musicals growing up with like the local church groups and stuff like that which was great fun so there's somewhere lots of very embarrassing DVDs of <laughs> <laughs> getting the words wrong and there's all the dance <laughs> dance moves wrong as well. Do you have a favourite musical? Well, that's a really tough question because I I tear my hair out every time because I just absolutely adore West Side Story. The music, oh. the dancing, the, you know, and and I saw Steven Spielberg there making a, a remake, which was just the trailer was released at the Oscars recently. So I'm so, but also Sweeney Todd, I just love the Sondheim. Yeah. So it's it's these kind of slight crossovers where it's it's not quite a musical, it's not quite an opera. That kind of age old debate: what makes it a musical, what makes it an opera? But I, these ones, just musically, they're amazing. They're so yeah. good, so good. I've done quite a lot of a lot of Sondheim sort of. Mm. Like, 
I'm just quite a big Sontan fan. Yeah, fan oh, and nice. was MD for Sweeney Todd's. Oh, um, yeah, amazing. Eight years oh. ago, which is one of those where <laughs> I agreed to do it and then got the score. I was like, oh, actually, <laughs> this is really <laughs> difficult. <laughs> and I mean, that's where my piano skills were not. <laughs> not mean, up yeah, yeah. But um, it was so great to get into the deep because I thought I knew it. I thought mm. I knew it musically. I had no idea. And there's so much detail that is just completely missed. But yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that, the Spielberg oh, film. Oh, amazing. It's, fu it's funny, we're talking about Sweeney Todd, just in front of me, I've actually, because we, we did Sweeney Todd in Aberdeen, where Paul Wheeler conducted it, and um, ah. I just so happened to have my Sweeney knife here. Swing your There's a slight, a very quick story about it though, because I, there seems to be a thing with, uh, I don't know, singers, they like to always, you know, as a piece of memorabilia, they like to, I don't know, uh, pinch a prop or steal like something that they're like, oh, they, to let me remember the show. And I've never done it because I'm like, oh, the prop lady needs them all for the next time they do Sweeney Todd in 50 years. Or, but um, I just was so like, oh, I've loved the show so much. I'm actually, I'm going to take one of my knives because there was like one of the, there was lots of these blades and then all of a sudden we were at the presentation at the end they were just you know giving some bottles of wine as a thank you after the show to yeah uh, director or whatever and they were like and ross we'd also like to say we were so looking forward to presenting you with the knife but we can't find it and we're so sorry about it I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> as it's in my back pocket like oh no what a shame it's been good <laughs> oh so, that is brilliant don't tell them <laughs> of your sort of general musical taste now is there anything that you don't like i don't like hmm i i i would say i'm always always open to everything i always kind of uh i always like to if if anything off the top of my head i, I don't know why it's so random but i've never ever heard a piece of borodin that i like <laughs> that's, <one laughs> that's, that's so random but every time everyone goes mad about it and i'm like uh, every time i've heard it i'm like meh and dare I but, say, I, I do, there are some amazing parts in Mahler. Okay. But there are so many boring bits in Mahler. And I, I'm sorry, that sounds so kind of, I, I think these are just, maybe I need to educate my palate a little more. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who'd be like, oh, could you, there's all these, and I get it, yeah, Mahler 2 is absolutely amazing. But there's so, oh, I went to see a lead von Erdogan, I just... Maybe it was the tenor, but I just couldn't <laughs> Well, tenors can make a break a piece, can't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but to, I don't think there's anything immediate that... Um, yeah, maybe I need to be a bit more critical. I I, I guess I, I'm always kind of open, or maybe I'm a wee bit... Maybe I just don't understand the music, or... But I love pop, you know, I love pop, I love rock, I love jazz. But but it's it's never I have, like, a huge kind of um, dislike for anything, yeah. But in a, in a nutshell, I'm not that keen on Borodin. <laughs> It's interesting what you say about Mahler, though, because the older I get, the more I'm like, I've just got so many blank spaces in my knowledge of musical history. Mm. And, well, last year I got to the point where I was like, I just don't know anything. I sang in Mahler 2 and nice. I... Tenor 1? I was singing tenor 1, not that well. Um, it's just <laughs> I can't reach these notes in a very um, socially acceptable way. And I love just being there and watching the orchestra play. I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I remember talking to some of the players who were like, that moment where the choir come in and when it's just building, building, it's so thrilling. I'm like, well, actually, chorally, it's quite dull unless oh, you really right. like singing loud and all yeah yeah I, yeah. Don't, I don't know it's not i don't think it's the most interesting piece of choral music but that's because mm. it's it's not choral music it's sort of orchestral choral and it's all sort of big and 
now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, my my thinking about that has very much changed. Last year, during the first lockdown, I was chatting to a friend and he was talking about one of the Mahler symphonies. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to go through each of the symphonies. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, like one a week and just sort of experience it. So I'd find one on YouTube and cast it to, to the TV and I'd be able to watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did one a week and got up to about the sixth symphony, I think. And it was great. Mm. Uh, I really enjoyed them. But I haven't, I'm not obsessed over it. Whereas yeah. I know quite a lot of my friends, particularly orchestral players, who were just so obsessive over it. And it's interesting, yeah, because I guess, especially with Mahler, it's, um, he's kind of, uh, he's this obviously very, very talented composer and written a huge amount of works. But it's, it's interesting, he's kind of only come into, was it kind of Bernstein was the real kind of, people kind of credit him to the real, yeah. he, he was the one who, brought him to the surface because he was always there but really kind of brought him into this canon and i think it's so interesting that there can be something about like even performance reception that that brings composers into into light because we did some gigs with john elliott and uh, he is huge huge like he had this kind of speech midway through because we were doing uh, lots of works by berlioz yeah and he's like i don't understand why People don't respect Berlioz enough. He, we need to be playing his music. He needs to fill our concert halls. You know, this really impassioned. And I, I really, really like Berlioz, and I probably wouldn't have come across him before. But I guess I don't know if he's trying to do a mini Bernstein by trying to bring to to the people. You like, it's almost like are the composers that we hear a lot of are because whether that's because they're popular or they're or they sell tickets, or is it because the conductor is like, no, you got to hear this guy or this this girl. She is amazing. She's got something to say. So yeah, influence our tastes. And I guess that just happens the whole way through history, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Like thinking back to Mendelssohn and Bach. And oh, without yeah. Mendelssohn, we probably wouldn't be geeking out over Bach, mm-hmm. having been the one who brought Bach to prominence, really. Yeah. <laughs> Well, should we get stuck in to your yeah, seven tracks? Do. Tell us about your first track, please, Ross. Yes. So this is uh, Max Richter. This, this is uh, I first came across it actually from a movie soundtrack uh, over lockdown. We were watching this, uh, got this DVD from you know one of those nights. Where it's like, oh, I'll just go to Tesco. There's nothing on Netflix. Buy a DVD and find one. And found uh, one called The Current War which was all about the the race to see who would be uh, used for the electric uh, power system in uh, America. And it was all, uh, it was like Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Holland, and, and randomly David Bowie makes a, <laughs> a cameo at the end. It's so random. It's like, wow. right, yeah, sure. As, as Tesla, he's, anyway. But all of a sudden, um, there's this amazing piece by Max Richter, and he's kind of this kind of minimalist kind of uh, sound, I want sound tech stuff that he does with, uh, and he's totally, he's done this recomposed version of Vivaldi's Seasons. And especially this this moment of spring, which is the most amazing thing. And it's this kind of repeating violin ostinatos that he's just like looped over and over again with then synths underneath. And it totally matched the movie as well, because it was kind of this modern day setting of this, uh, you know, uh, it was a period drama, but still had very much like uh, the, the idea of electricity becoming a thing. It was all of a sudden, you know, we were moving away from the torches in our rooms. And and, and, and I don't know, the music, it's, it's, it's this incredible way of re inventing you know Vivaldi that we just know yeah. so and he's done the entire scene but it's all of a sudden you just hear this music and hearing it afresh again you're like wow it's so cool it's and it's so atmospheric and and um yeah I just think it's 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 breathing life into a piece that is just so well known in such a new and exciting way what I love about it as well is that it feels like spring mm, <laughs> um because mm. I was listening to it the other day in the morning when I'd uh, I'd woken up and it was quite a nice morning. I'd opened the windows and you could hear the birds outside. You listen; it's just all sort of there, and it does feel just exactly as you say, completely fresh. And there's new life in that, and I think that's mm-hmm. so exciting when composers can do that with another composer's work. I think that's really great. And it's cool when he does these things live. You know, I mean, it's he's he's got a he did a thing at the the Royal Albert Hall, and he's obviously got lots of different tracks. But he's him just looping this stuff. It's it's quite. I mean, as I say, it's very minimal. It's just a guy kind of there with surrounded by various keyboards, and you think, Gosh, yeah. how's he going to do this? But it's the most captivating thing. Is he just slowly changes these sounds, and it's yeah, it's it's this kind of marathon singing. But oh, it's so worth it. It's amazing. Max Richter's music, the only, so I came across his music through 
uh, the TV series The Leftovers. Oh, I don't know it. It's written by Damon Lindelof, who was a lead writer for Lost. All right. And I think it's based on a on a book, but it's about grief. And basically there's been this global event where 2% of the population of the whole world have just suddenly disappeared. Oh, and gosh. it's about people like dealing with that. And Carrie Coon is in it, Justin Theroux, uh, Liv Tyler. Oh, um, nice, yeah, like yeah. That. It's, a re- it's a great cast. And it's just quite, it's quite grim, but really, uh, it's just really engaging. It's, I think it's a really excellent TV series. And he wrote some stuff for it. Yeah, he he's the main composer for it. So there's quite a lot of his music in it, but there's a lot of other stuff in it. There's, that's how I got to know the the scientist movement of Schubert's Deutschmesse. Because mm. it suddenly just plays in one scene and it's heartbreaking. But it's his music is wonderful in it. And it's the soundtracks are things that I put on quite a lot if I'm like, just doing some admin or something or I just need a bit of a, yeah. a cleanse of my musical palette. He's also got like a, another really cool album that I've, I've just recently been, as you say, it's kind of, it's not background music by any means, but it's very, I, I like what you said about palette cleansing. I think that's the mm. way to kind of describe it, but it's a, it's a, it's an album called the, the Blue Notebooks, so 15 years, but it's, 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 it's really cool. And, it, and again, it's, I just, I just find it's, uh, it's, it's so interesting, these kind of new composers or writers. How do you find your unique voice? In mm. when, when all you have is everyone trying to find their own unique voice, but still <laughs> hoping that you sound, you know, palatable. And, I, and yes. I've found Max Richter especially is just, he's found this happy medium. Let's move on to your next track. Yes, so the, the next track, um, rather hilariously, when I, I said I sent it through to you, I realised that it auto-corrected to Talisker, which is the whiskey. Maybe it's kind of um, <laughs> being a bit suggestive, Tybo, but it's Talisk, the um, the Scottish folk group uh, three-piece, which is um, a three-piece uh, of Mosin Amini, uh, Haley Keenan and Graham Armstrong. Uh, and the three instruments are a concertina, so the wee squeeze box, yeah. uh, fiddle and guitar. And honestly... I came across the uh, the album and this track Abyss, which is just this awesome sound with it, especially the squeeze box. It's just so cool how they've again, dare I say, I, I like the idea of you know because even Scottish folk music can get stuck in its kind of ah no one and but they are just so exciting bringing it forward and um, they've won various awards in Scotland for kind of. Um, BBC Young Musicians of the Year and stuff like that. So, uh, but yeah, it's this combination of the old and the new, and um, and the picking up and slowing down in the piece is so cool. You could almost Kaylee to this stuff. You could be waltzing at one moment, and then you could be doing strip the willow the next. And yeah, the and, and and watching these guys live is so funny because especially uh, Mozin Amini, the the guy who plays the squeeze box, he is headbanging so hard as he is like and i'm like how does he not like pass out on stage as he's doing this as they're all like because yeah they're all keeping in time with one another but he is absolutely going for it and and the crowd are going mental as well but then as i say as the piece like chills down it's all like oh you could be having a whiskey or enjoying watching and then all of a sudden picks up again so it's just this kind of hybrid between dance music and also totally chill by candlelight stuff and it sounds like it, it's got that very, like a very live feel to it. Oh yeah, totally. To I and I think it's great to have recordings of uh, like folk stuff, but you got to hear it live because half the fun of like a folk gig is like the jokes and the stories that happen in yeah. between. Like it's just when they're oh, so the last time we played this one, and da, 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 or this is one's about my da, da, and and it's really it's almost poetry. You know what I mean? There's yeah. lots of the and they um. Have, you know, it's the, the music's great, but then all of a sudden the, they don't say anything and they just start playing, and then they're into the next one. It's it's kind of it's amazing to watch these guys do it live, and I think especially at the RCS in Scotland they have a, a traditional music course, which is really cool. But they are so focused on getting their musicians to make connections and make. This is where you meet your your bandmates essentially, and yeah. uh, or, or folk you on a gig with, and then there's such a big music uh, folk traditional music scene in. Uh, in Canada, in, uh, in uh, kind of Norway, in Denmark, so they do lots of tours there, and apparently they love it when they bring Scottish stuff and your your own folk tunes. I think that's the point because it's just storytelling. But yeah, I just yeah. love the sound talisman. It's so exciting and kind of like upbeat. It's great. It's a great combination of instruments. Mm. That actually, it's a really great noise. 
and thinking creatively there's so many opportunities like that you can do there as a musician i think oh yeah yeah um, and i i wonder because i i don't know much about the uh, concertina or accordion but i wonder if there's different kind of like stops or reads on the on the actual instrument because there's almost times where it sounds like it's making like a like on an organ or something it's it's making different kind of higher pitched like reedy sounds so i wonder if there's a wee flip switch that all of a sudden changes it because all of a sudden you get this totally different color to the I think, because um, I used to play the accordion. Oh, did you? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not tell anyone. <laughs> um, growing up, we all played the melody on the right hand, but we never did the, the sort of chord stuff in the left hand. Depending on the instrument, you can, you can flick a thing and uh, it'll sound thinner or it'll sound mm. thicker. And and is that like reeds or stops or what, what is it? I don't, um, it is. I don't really know, to be honest. But it, it is fascinating what you can, and when you get, I mean, when you get someone who's been playing it their whole life, and they, oh, it's yeah. just, they're so, they just know exactly how it works, and just with the subtlest touch of something, it can completely change colour and, and all of that. Yeah, totally. So I'm guessing you would have experienced quite a lot of live, that's very presumptuous, um, live. No, stuff. no, definitely, yeah, lots of live, kind of, whether that's, as you say, lots of festivals. There was uh, one just down the road at Spayfest that was just brilliant because... Yeah, and it's almost I don't want to say it's got they, they had like headlining acts and stuff like that but there was like it had a kind of open mic feel to it as well mm. so anyone and there's lots of youngsters there's a real kind of feeling that you don't want the tradition to kind of die out and, and that's why I think it's really exciting like bands like there's um, Talisk and another one called Nos they're all these kind of young guys and girls who are really kind of bringing it's not making folk music cool again but it's kind of taking it away from the Oh, it's just Kaylee dancers. It's like, oh, this is exciting stuff. Yeah. That just, um, that's great to hear in a pub. Because occasionally it's got, I don't know if you have it here in England, but we, there, there's um, folk nights in uh, bars where all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's not like you're going to see the gig. It's just like a bunch of people gather around a table and and start playing. So they always meet on a Wednesday and they'll just, you know, they'll be having their pints and they're all just playing and they all kind of turn to each other. Oh, we're doing... Uh, you know, uh, a pipe majors in general in, in D, and they, and they just start playing, yeah. and then someone will come in the dot, and then oh, he's got his double bass, and he's all start, and then they just, you know, it's nice to, and, and it's great because you know, I, I I never played, so I, I would um, sit at the back of the bar and just you just kind of breathe it in, but they're all sat, and sometimes you got like twi- but sometimes you know it's twenty grey hairs all you know playing their stuff, and it's like oh gosh, that's... but these guys are really exciting talent, I really 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 recommend them. got some choral music next yeah yeah this is oh i mean this is a a piece that's kind of been on my bucket list for so long because it's just one of those that whenever you bring it up and i hope you're of the same opinion but whenever you say harris's fair as a heaven everyone's like oh yes just the most incredible oh amazing oh i did that with this choir and i I, really really and i it's i've just never done it i, I don't know it's oh, one really? of those pieces that just okay. for, for forever evades you it's it's either maybe i'm i was off the week that they did it or uh but just never never uh done it obviously it's a double choir so it's quite a um you need you need two tenors at least which is always hard enough <laughs> as it is, but it's, it's the it's the idea that you do need a, 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 a mightyish force to do it because it's not a, a, a an easy piece by any means but oh my goodness just mm. I've listened to it so many times and I just found that it's, oh, this, there's no words because I, and I, I think I heard Tenebrae do it and it really is this mighty sound. And there's so many epic uh, moments like this eternal burning seraphims and, and the text is so alive. Like I, the last kind of the ending is how then can mortal tongue hope to express the image of such endless perfectness. And you're kind of the music, I would say so perfectly and beautifully encapsulates that. Mm-hmm. 
It's a piece that has everything harmonically and 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 dramatically. It's and it's all in this guise of fear is the heaven. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wow, it's <laughs> so awesome. As we kind of go towards this perfect resting place, but yeah. It's such exciting text and the double choir, but I, I, yeah, I still have never had the opportunity to sing it, and I'd love. Uh, well, I'm so excited for you to experience it mm-hmm. for the first time because it's, it's just so good. And you're right, the the, the text is so delicious, and the mm-hmm. way it's set is just feels so perfect, and the way the harmony sort of shifts, and you've got this, yeah. there's drama in it, and there's so much energy and it just sort of moves and evolves as the tech dictates um, I think it's mm-hmm. wonderfully done I just experienced that 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 double choir yeah. that's so cool to, as, as an audience member to hear that kind of can deck antiphonal yeah. back and forth I think that adds to the drama as well exactly so yeah. cool yeah oh it's a wonderful piece I mean I've also heard it done I've been I've conducted performances where some of the more interesting harmonic shifts near the end yeah. have not quite gone <laughs> again. Gone yeah, it's play. as you say, it's it's one of those people yeah, people have done it loads of times, but that's because oh we sing at choir, or oh, we know how this goes. Yeah. And what was it you said something at a rehearsal the other day and I, I totally agree with you. It's like when something looks easy on the page yeah. and we, we all just kind of assume uh uh, whether that's your title, and and and, it, and I totally agreed because so many times it's same as Rutter sometimes. I because the thing is I understand. I really love every who doesn't love a bit of Rutter. But the point is like too many people as soon as they see it on the page they're like, oh well, some Rutter was here. But honestly they'll sing it slightly. There'll be mistakes galore. Yeah. Because they they're not because it's not easy or, the, or there's moments that are just like ah that's not going exactly where you thought it was and but yet but yet they'll be like oh rutter oh put it away it's like no no because you you sing it first let me hear you do it without any kind of because it's it's more complicated than you think. exactly and I I remember a situation years ago where I think it was the Lord bless you and keep you possibly. It could have been for something like a funeral or a wedding or something. And I said to the choir, oh, can you just turn up 10 minutes early because we'll run the rutter. And someone yeah. in the choir just was very bad at hiding their feelings about that. I was like, oh, do we need do we need to run that? And I think it was karma because when they actually did run it in the rehearsal, the bit near the end where the harmony sort of shifts, it was a yep. car crash in that rehearsal. Like, yeah. yeah, we do need to run this actually, you know? Because obviously yeah. we, don't, we don't know it as well as we probably should. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I think things like Rutter and Mozart and mm-hmm. like it's things that we think we know uh, and things that look easy on the page are so exposing. Um, yeah. And highlight. I mean, I know this from playing Mozart sonatas, which some of them look quite easy on page one, and then <laughs> page two is oh boy, oh yeah, take off. Yeah, it's just it, it's so exposing, and you need to really have your wits about you. And it's just when when people get complacent because they think, oh, we know this and stuff, that's where it, you know, I sort of want everyone to have, be sort of on the edge of their seat about performing. Oh, Not yeah. like things will go wrong or like, well, we better make sure that this is right and anxiety, but actually just making sure that it, they're actually thinking about everything that they normally would if it was singing a piece of really difficult Poulenc or something. Oh, Put yeah. Put the same effort in. And as fair as the heaven, it does it kind of sit in this place where it's kind of people know it, but it's still hard. Yeah, exactly. And and there are bits that once you get into that next section, it's fine. But then it's like, well, don't get complacent because actually the next transition is we just need to make sure that that tuning is bang on. Yeah. Because does Harris also do that? Holy is the true light. Is that Yeah, the other... yeah, yeah. Yes, because that's that's you know that beautiful piece, but there are a few corners in that. That's yeah, like, ah. yeah. Do you know um, "Bring Us a Lord God"? No, I don't. You, I don't. So I'd highly recommend that because it's basically like the sister piece to "Fair as the Heaven." It sort of starts the same. Well, it doesn't. It's the same key at the beginning, anyway, um, and uh-huh. it's double choir. It's less of a dramatic piece, but. I find it really emotional and the sort of cadence at the end is really wonderful. But mm. I'd really dig that out because a lot of my choral friends and I, we always have this, well, do you think it's Bring Us a Lord God or Fair as the Heaven? Which one do you think is better? Oh, right. It's, it's, it, which team are you? Yeah, I don't know because I, I used to think that Bring Us a Lord God was a better piece. But I've mm. 
so much more fun doing Fair as the Heaven. Let's move on to your next track. Yes, so this is uh, a, a th- another three-piece, but it's a kind of folky a cappella group called uh, The Staves. They're absolutely kind of voices like velvet. It's beautiful, but they, they're they they're an English kind of indie folk trio, and they're all sisters oh. as well. So, I mean, that, that, that'd be quite a, <laughs> an interesting dynamic, I guess. <laughs> I mean, being on tour constantly and working with your... I know me and my sisters wouldn't be able to do that, yeah. but uh, obviously they and they're really cool on Instagram. Like all the stuff that they post, they're obviously like best friends as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, I've just totally fell in love with this uh, this kind of close harmony, and it's it's again like it's a total like uh, chilled, candled vibe, um, and it's one that you'd like listen to as you slowly drift off to sleep. Yeah, and um, I've tried to get tickets for their concerts so many times, but they sell out absolutely instantly oh, you don't even have a moment i was I even i've never done it before but i tried to you know when it's like tickets go live at 12 o'clock and as soon as you click it gone yeah. just absolutely gone i was like no oh. but yeah and, and, and they, they've done gigs at uh, glastonbury i was watching uh, one of their oh. sets uh, and it is just such a, a a relaxed vibe to it it's not like you know glastonbury i don't know if you've watched kind of the highlights it's, it's got everything literally yeah. everything at it uh, um but you've got the, the big pyramid stage and, all, and then these little ones with uh you know the staves are really really popular but they've just got they're kind of one of these bands that just have you in the the palm of their hand oh, for wow. an hour and, and and as you're listening to it as well it's just this kind of totally switching off from the day takes you to another place and i really really like appreciated that during look because you know it's so busy sometimes and you're just oh head's going and then you just put that on and you're just like ah oh, this is this is kind of like a a zen place to go to. And some Nina Simone next. Yeah, that was the next one because I <laughs> got a funny story about this because I, this song, it's a, My Baby Just Cares For Me. And I, it's one of those ones where you're like, I cannot remember any of the lyrics. I can't remember how it goes at all. I just know it goes, and I'd heard it in like a, a Asda or something like that. And I was like, oh, how what is the name of that song you know yeah. and you're like going typing into google you're like what's that song that goes duh, but so i i eventually had to, i i managed to find it by typing in like uh major descending piano <laughs> jazz song and and then all of a sudden kind of went and i finally found it i was like yeah it's found nina so and then i've been listening to it driving my flatmates crazy listening because it's this kind of like you know it's kind of jazz to an extent but oh her voice is just so it's caramel yeah it's beautiful and then uh I've, I've just started learning to play it on piano as well so it's oh, nice. um just this fun like and and um it's funny the um the music video is this kind of stop animation they're all cats it's all very strange but it's very kind of 70s 80s 90s whatever i don't actually know when this one was but she was yeah her her voice as well i don't know if you've heard Cinnerman as yeah. well she's got an amazing tracks and mm. it's just her talent, she could play this stuff live and sing unbelievably well. She's just so good. My baby don't care for shows. My baby don't care for clothes. My baby just cares for me. My baby don't care for cars and races. Please, 
Yeah, and I've been listening to a lot of like, you know, Ella Fitzgerald as well. These kind of singers that are so wonderful. And we, we had a, a, a masterclass. It was with the head of Birmingham Opera Company, actually, the guy, Sir Graham Vick. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about kind of um, singing this legato line and finding finding legato, but also finding expression. So you're not just, you're divorcing yourself from the music sometimes, but you need to find the essence of the text. And she said, listen to Ella Fitzgerald, go away. And just because she, she's her recordings are just a masterclass. What she would do is apparently in all her recordings, she would have in her ear click track, you know, this jazz stuff that she is kind of like housey kind of piano stuff. She would have a click track in her ear just going, but in that she would be so rhythm rhythmically strict, but she would then pull it around like nobody's business. And that's where her kind of is this wonderful hybrid. She had just total control of rhythm. Yeah. And that's why she, and that's why it sounds so effortless because she had, it's, and, but it wasn't, she was keeping strict to the rhythm. She knew what the rhythm was and then would pull it around. Oh. So, yeah, apparently Ella Fitzgerald. If you want a perfect legato line, oh, that's fascinating, <laughs> isn't it? It's those it's those things where um, you sort of where you look at something, and you think, oh, that's very that feels very off the cuff or yeah, natural, natural and yeah, all of that, probably. and they just sort of uh, improvising on the spot or whatever. Um, but actually, it's so calculated and well, yeah, well thought through. There's such a training, such a craft. To yeah, it. and I was listening to um a podcast interview with Howard Goodall the other day. He was talking about um, the early sketches that they did with Rowan Atkinson and the sort of the character mm. that became Mr. Bean. Um, yeah, where yeah. There was this sketch that they were doing where he was on a synthesizer that had all the noises of a, of a drum kit and Rowan Atkinson would come on stage and sort of bump into little things. And <laughs> they were saying how that was how that all looked completely by accident and off the cuff but it was that was the thing that they had to they didn't rehearse much else but they rehearsed that one it had to be to a t to a t yeah completely because the moment it doesn't all of a sudden you kind of see through like oh it looks a little either clunky or just you just don't believe it anymore but it has to be on the nose like perfectly whether that's the timing or anything yeah it's yeah it's it's amazing. I always say it's about improv as well. I wonder how on earth people do improv. Yeah. <laughs> it's above me. Oh. I couldn't I couldn't stomach it. I couldn't I couldn't do it. <laughs> well, I guess conducting's a bit improv y, you know, when you're in a rehearsal. Or on the organ, surely. Yeah, yeah. oh no, completely. Kind of vamping over yeah. a kind of waiting for the I don't know, the the communion to finish or something. You're kind of looking wait and you're just kind of circling fifth. it's amazing because some i know so many people who can do that so well and i as a composer i'm like how do you how do you do that and they'd say Mm. they'd say well this is easier than sitting down to write a piece and i was like no that's what you're doing is way more interesting than what i would ever do (laughs) but it's that skill of being able to make it feel like it's all completely planned but you're making yeah. it up as you're going on because you have no idea how long the priest is going to take to do whatever he's doing and to finish it. And it all, once you get to the end, it feels like a very coherent musical piece. And like, oh gosh. That's how they were able to write fugues on the spot. That's one thing I'm always just, how on earth do you, harmonically, you have to be totally on it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So that was Nina Simone. Nina. Great. Tell us about your next track. Oh yes, that's uh, Siobhan Miller, another uh, Scots folk singer, but she is just, uh, I'm talking about all the, I, I think I'm a sucker for these voices like Caramel, she's just, I went to see her at a gig in Aberdeen, uh, a really pokey but really cosy um, venue called The Lemon Tree, Okay. and uh, yeah, and it was one of my first gigs in there, and she is, she's a, a singer songwriter and she did this uh song rambling rover and it and it's so great it's kind of this um the song about uh kind of seize, seizing the day and uh life not uh pa- not letting life pass you by and to not take everything so seriously that you become stuck yeah. and she was just so fun she you felt like you know she came out on stage sang this, and i was like i feel like i've known you for 20 years she all of a sudden was just chatting to us and uh, her band were fantastic as well, but she's just got this aura about her that totally draws you in that she played. And it was, oh, it, it, I, I think I've just got, especially as I was saying, um, since you move away from Scotland, you really do miss that kind of 
it's not like I just wake up and eat haggis every morning. It's nothing like that. But I, I, I do kind of have an, an affinity for the way that I'm like, this is, oh, this kind of music. You hear it and you can't help but feel more at home. Oh, the sober men in plenty, drunkards barely twenty. There are men of over ninety who have never yet kissed a girl. But give me a rambling over, Freyarkney down to Dover. We'll roam the country over and together we'll face the world. There's a comfort somewhere in, in in listening to Siobhan's voice and she she's a, a wonderful person as well but she yeah it was just so cool she as I say she was telling us stories about what she was up to last week and what she was planning to do tomorrow and yeah you felt like you knew her. Reminds me a bit of Adele which is a very, very mm. different sort of thing. Oh well yeah. But you uh, I mean I've never seen her live but that I think it was her Royal Albert Hall gig where mm -hmm. you just see a completely different side to her and you see this yeah, authenticity absolutely. i think and that brings draws you into the emotion of the music and the lyrics and everything and you feel as if you're on a on a level and you're sharing in yeah. this experience rather than being like a lowly um <laughs> just gig goer and this wonderful artist is doing this thing to you it feels very yeah. grounded I definitely, I definitely found and uh, uh, and watching folk like Siobhan right because it's so relaxed. Because I, uh, I, I just was going back to the <laughs> back a couple of years, but I was in, I was in a an indie rock band as well. Ah. Uh, back in the back of the day, and um, we're a, a four piece called Chasing Tasco. Should check us out. We recorded an album. <laughs> I mean, it was good fun, but um, kind of while we were at school, and I, I really enjoyed. It. I loved the band. It was a wee bit like with the piano. Like I loved the the band practice. That you know they were really good writers. They could write lyrics, and so I I would play keys and sing. Um, but what I found so hard was the front manning. I found it so hard, you know, the get be like getting a crowd going, yeah. you know, or because we did some uh, we did some gigs at uh, various kind of community centres to start with, and then we did a, a few little festivals like local stuff, which was really really fun, and there was a great kind of scene for that, lots of bands. But I just found it so. Even though the crowd was basically all our school pals, I was like, "How are we doing tonight, guys?" Yeah, yeah. and I, I just, oh, that that kind of improvising, you know, being able to be authentic. And I was like, "This next song is oh, what is this?" I way out my comfort zone. Like, I love to chat, but I just can't. I don't know what it is. And you must find that when you're sometimes up in front of a a group of you, you've kind of got to be the 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 highest energy in the room because you've got to you know everyone's kind of coming in for a rehearsal sometimes requiring the oh i've had a long day yeah. got to do some hard work and say you're like right let's get this going you know you've got to pick up the energy and keep it going and also sprinkle it with jokes whilst also having some sort of authority authority is not the right word but you know what i mean yeah no completely and it's that is something that um because i've done a lot of community singing work and yeah one of my first professional conducting jobs was conducting a community ladies choir, uh, which I ended up conducting oh, for great. 10 years. And I remember my oh, wow, predecessor gosh. at Nottingham, he said to me, when I got the job, he said, that will be the best thing for your conducting. I knew what he meant at the time because he wasn't necessarily talking about conducting in terms of like gesture and beat and stuff. Because no, 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 when no, you're conducting yeah. a community choir or and sometimes with kids and stuff you're not you're not showing your best uh like if you were at conservatoire conducting that that's not the the way you should probably conduct but it's about how you interact with people and how you bring them along with you and try and get them to be the best that they can be but also in terms of that rehearsal experience and if you've got a bunch of people who are taking two hours out of their wednesday evening to come to you to sing it's not just about the singing it's about that community and um yeah and over with this particular group i got to know these people so well and knew what was going on in their in their lives what they were escaping from for those two hours and uh yeah absolutely. it was much more than just having a good sing and the sing was really important but 
any time I felt, oh, I can't really be bothered with this rehearsal tonight, you'd go, well, actually, you've got to, because this person is going to be there and they need these two hours of you just yeah, making yeah, them yeah, laugh yeah, yeah. and having a really lighthearted time. But yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a skill that I have <laughs> certainly developed over time. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's an art in itself being able to, you know, these kind of come and sings, you know. Oh, yeah. Play, I don't know. £25 for uh, two two days of sessions on Vivaldi's Gloria with lunch in between and you've got to kind of make the day fun but also there's a concert at the end and you also have to, you know, people want to be able to turn up at the concert and sing something so I I, but but having that kind of energy and I like what they're saying with Siobhan Miller that kind of warmness that totally invites you in and you want to well I wasn't singing for Siobhan but the idea you want to sing for that conductor Mm. you want to do well or you want to be on board rather than either being terrified or just a bit like gosh this isn't that fun yeah and then and I mean ultimately for me I think if people are comfortable and having a good time and feel comfortable enough to laugh oh absolutely the singing is going to be so much better because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm, there's nothing worse mm-hmm. than having um there's nothing worse than having singers who are just sort of like uptight and uh scared to make a wrong note it's just like ah oh, it doesn't really matter well it depends on the context yeah uh, <laughs> but yeah having everyone sort of relax and sort of giggling together it just really helps and i mean i went to go see uh john rutter do a come and sing afternoon oh yeah which was hilarious because he I was chatting to someone else afterwards and he said, yeah, this is the fifth John Rutter thing that I've done. And, you know, it's, oh it's the goodness. same jokes, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think, oh, well, you know, Just back, back again. If John can do that, I will. <laughs> I'll yeah. Out of his book. And your final track of the seven. Yes. Some bark. We are back to uh, back to Bach. Yes, uh, I mean this is uh, I I love the passion settings. I've I've only actually been able to see uh, one of them live, and this is the I've seen the Matthew. Um, I was really looking forward to doing a, a St John, do the uh, the bass solos in the St John, but uh, sadly it was all cancelled. Hopefully rescheduled to another time. But this is just, I mean the Mach Gedich, my heads around this, uh, make my heart clean or pure, and it's 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 the idea that um after. The crucifixion of Jesus. You've gone through all this, this turmoil. We've been through this journey that is the passion, all the way from the very start, and and here we are, uh, and then you've got the soulist who just yearns to now afterwards to bury Jesus in his own heart and expel out all the worldly things and only have Jesus to this. Oh, I think people people described it when you get to this moment in the in the Matthew Passion. It's just like this total. Ah, oh, moment, and it's just this kind of dance yeah. in some way, dare I say? But it's uh, apparently it's always in the in the cantatas, and the, it's always the soprano who gets the kind of last beautiful, or or even you know the handle. You know, I know that my redeemer liveth. She sings the ones that are oh, the kind of anthem that everyone. But the bass gets it in this one, and the marketing is just, it's just so beautiful. I think it's music sent straight from heaven. It's just amazing. It's because um, it's a similar sort of aria. It's very different, but it's a similar sort of thing in the St. John, where it's so. Mm. I mean, the choir have the chorale in the background, but it's uh, sort of in that 12 8 sort of time, and it's it just feels very fresh. And Is that the Mein Toy? Mein Toy? That one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting because I. Um, I, I mean, I prefer the St. John over the Matthew, but that's only because mm-hmm. I've sung and conducted the John um, and I haven't sung or conducted the Matthew. And there's yeah. so much drama in the John, which I love. But the arias, and particularly the arias after like the death and after all the drama's gone, there's something so powerful and incredibly moving, but in a sort of really outrageously emotional way, but just such a pure way as well. It's hard to describe, but yeah, this aria seems to have that sort of quality for sure. And it's so, it's, it's, as we were saying earlier, it's every, I've listened to various recordings and I love uh, Fischer Discals, but there's also a a recording by a guy, um, Benjamin Luxon, who is, you know, one of these old, old well, he's still still alive, but kind of of the older schools, so and a huge voice and an amazing instrument. Mm. And when it started, when I listened to the recording, it was it's probably, and I mean it, half the speed. 
It's, I think the aria normally is, is probably about five, five and a half minutes. Benjamin's version is 10 minutes Oh, wow. Long. And when I first, I was like, oh my <laughs> goodness, this is, how is he going to get through any of yeah. this? But it all made sense as soon as he started singing. Yeah. Oh, it's the most amazing thing. I mean, I don't think I dare do it just because I don't, I, you know, <laughs> you've you've already done the passion. You've already sung through the entire thing and now you've got to sing <laughs> the Makadik at the end. So having 10 minutes, having five minutes worth of something is enough, but 10, it's, but it really is so stunning. And I, I, I think it's, it's definitely worth a, a listen because you get so in your head, you're like, oh yes, it's got to be this way as we were saying at the very start of this podcast you know oh, people have their way it's set that's the that's what Bach intended but then it totally makes sense yeah and it's so beautiful and it's um and and and, and with Bach I think what's so interesting is as a singer you're also repeating the text over and over and over again and and often it's finding something new in it because you know it's it's the, the music does Bach helps you a lot because the music is so expressive, but the text you have to bring something out. Yeah, you have to bring a, a new, and there is so much you can from the, the pain that is the loss of Jesus, but the actual joy that you're wanting to bury him in your heart, and the joy that there is the resurrection after this. That's that's what I believe is the point. <laughs> I love your point about speeds <laughs> because mm. you're right. I, there's particularly with Bach because a lot of the older sort of mid 20th century sort of early recordings of stuff are a lot slower, I think, than, <laughs> than <laughs> what some of us would do now. Yeah. Um, and I think, is it Otto Klemperer? Maybe I think I heard a recording of his St. John Passion. And the opening movement was so. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the Bach um, B minor Mass, and the opening movement was like half the speed. How <laughs> what I'd normally really? do. Like, how is this taking? How are you doing it this slowly? But there's something. Your toes like curl as soon yeah. as you start here. Like, but then <laughs> you. Um, but then it, it just adds something completely. Those moments of sort of resolution later on when you go through mm. all of these. Um, bits of the fugue and uh there's so much release then because it's been so slow i think um yeah yeah but i think some of those areas where it's sort of half speed you think how are these singers able to sing these phrases Get yeah it, yeah it's incredible how, how did you find kind of the marathon that is i always wonder especially from a conductor it's because you know the choir so we get to take breaks obviously the orchestra kind of plays right but as a conductor you're you're on you're on it for about two three hours. What's it like? Just the moment before you like the deep breath before the plunge. You kind of have to go in and do it. You're like, gosh, this is. I feel like you're going through your own kind of you know, march to Calvary sometimes. But yeah, I mean, for me, um, so we did this in John Passion last year, and it was the final. Ended up being the final thing that I did at Nottingham because it was. Yeah, so it was a real kind of culmination of. Yeah, but it, it was two weeks before lockdown, and so we didn't know that that would have been the final thing. But it ended up being, and I was just really excited because I I loved it so much, and we had such a good group of soloists. The bands were amazing, and I was like, I just can't wait to get going with this. And yeah, yeah. Wait, my I don't think my job is. The 
I think the person who's got more weight on the shoulders is the continuer player, because for mm. quite a lot of the reset, I'm just saying, well, it's, it's over to you. I'm not going to interfere. I'm just yeah, 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 yeah. Leave I'll it, give yeah. you the downbeat for the first quarter or whatever. But I'm, you, it's up to you guys to play around um, the, the evangelists and everything, and just let them have ownership over that. And because you've got so many different aspects of it. You have those bits of respite where you've got this bit of drama and then there's a chorale and then there's an aria and then you're back into the drama again. Yeah. I mean, I remember getting to the point where the choir was um, <laughs> shouting, crucify him, Kreutzka, and it's, you think, how are we here already? This is flying through. Yeah. And I, when I, I remember, I said to, uh, my friend Ellie, who was doing the soprano solos, um, I said to her afterwards, you know, I always skip that aria that you sing, Sir Felisa, because I just find it quite dull when I'm listening to it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. When you're in it, when you're in the context of the performance and you've gone through this all, you don't want it to end and you're relishing no, every note. And it all, everything... It makes complete sense and in terms of where that aria lands in respect to what's just happened before it and what's coming up next it all makes sense and i just yeah. didn't want it to end didn't want it to end at all absolutely yeah and I, I think that's yeah it's that i obviously never conducted it but hearing what you're saying it's i i especially that you know this music touches the soul of so many people, people yeah. who aren't even religious, yeah. and that's what are people who can't even understand the language. That's another thing that I find so I mean, they know roughly the story and they know what's happening. But it's, I think, a, a friend described it because I did my first Messiah not that long ago, and you know, everyone's like, it's a bit like Rutter, everyone's like, oh, the Messiah, we know how it goes, but it's it's always it's a lot harder than that. But like with the Messiah and the Bach, I think, especially to the believer, mm. um, like folk who, who who really do, and there are you know, people do have faith, and people, and 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 to the believer that um, this music is so it's 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 an opera, it's a drama, it's a it's a documentary, yeah. but to the most beautiful, it's like the soundtrack of, you know, I oh gosh, it's I, I sorry, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I did my I did my dissertation on James McMillan, especially his passion settings, because ah. I was like, wow, the, the Bach passion settings are obviously kind of everything that will ever be written will always be in the shadow slightly yeah. because these these kind of monument they, they set the president for it and it is just the most stunning music and you it's kind of a cathartic journey i think that's the point you get to the likes of Machadich and you just feel oh there is hope there is joy there is something beauty to all of this and um, as you say, like you were feeling just totally exhausted, but with Macmillan's, you know, it's um, he obviously a, a devout Catholic as well. He um, his music it sometimes sounds like in his passion settings. He's done a, a a Luke and a John, and I think is doing. I think he's in the midst of writing a Mark or a Matthew, but um, the John and the Luke, they, it sounds almost like an Alfred Hitchcock movie at times. You know, yeah. it's kind of screeching violins and terrifyingly dissonant core and, and the sort you know it's just you but but you're almost like what what would what if you were to put a soundtrack to the the, the crucifixion i don't think you know i i think back to music is beautiful and and that's the point there is beauty and pain and suffering and all that. but would there be enough if you were to be there i think it would sound terrifying and then have moments of beauty as well yeah. so oh i think it's, it's really interesting but i think it's the human endeavor that it takes to get through these passions it's so have you have you ever heard the um Penderecki St. Luke Passion? Interestingly, I, I yeah, because I I that was one because I, I basically was like, who has written passion yeah. settings? And I went through all that. And the Penderecki came up, I couldn't get a score for it, so I listened through, but really interesting stuff. I remember just hearing like the opening just sort of punched me in the face. <laughs> It's so rough and atonal, and as you say, like what does oh, accompany yeah. that? What music is appropriate to accompany, like the story of the passion? 
Because there needs to be hope, definitely. And there needs to be some sort of... And that's why, you know, going into a bit of kind of philosophical stuff, that's why I found so... Because um, when you look at the kind of Catholic faith, the, it looks to the suffering of Christ, but the beauty in yeah. the suffering. And I think that's what's so, like, amazing in the pain that was... And, and it's it's hard to, you know, it's it's hard to look at sometimes. You're like, oh, this is so, you know, oh, the lashes, the all the... The, the painstaking stuff that, you know, the stations of the cross that were just so awful, but there is beauty and, and wonder and love in that. Yeah. I think that's the point because I think it's, it's too easy to kind of shy away and be like, ah, and, and then he rose and said, that, all the good news. No, that's why we have, you know, Easter that we've just, oh, I would have loved to have more service. You know, that's why I think we miss it so much, the music at Easter. But it's such a journey, you know, and then when Easter Sunday comes, there's just this total yeah. Of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah refreshing somebody. and i think oh, with amazing. and you're completely right about that point with it all being about hope because there are so many moments in the bark passions where you know the arias take up that mantle of oh, we're just going to interrupt the narrative and give you this mm. air of hope and and but in the st john right at the middle is this chorale which interrupts the two scenes where the crowds are shouting crucify him it's this beautiful oh, yeah, yeah, chorale yeah, yeah. that sort of is this beacon of hope. It's and I and that's the I remember that was a very important point for me last year when I was conducting because I was like I think this is probably one of the most important chorales for those in the audience who are believers. Yeah, you're saying with the soprano, yeah, it's the yeah, context completely. of where it comes. Context is crucial. Absolutely. Lovely. So we've come to the end of the seven pieces. Um, uh, do you mind if we take mm. a quick break? And then if we come back in like a couple of minutes and just go through your honourable mentions of those extras. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> They're a wee bit more goofy. Oh, no, Goofy is great. <laughs> goofy is what this podcast is all about. <laughs> 